hello, hello, and welcome to another edition of the Faith the Public Podcast. My name is Ian Collins, and joining me, as always, is the testing negative to my staying positive, Mr. Ryan Morris. Hello, 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 fans. Um, fans, by fans, I mean fan. Um, Jake, how we doing? Um, <laughs> uh, it is... Hey, don't leave Tim out. Tim, Tim and Jake. Um, so fans, fans was correct. Um, it's good to be back. Uh, would you would you go so far as to say that there are only fans? You can say there are only fans. I don't think they're into beat picks, and I don't think they buy any from us. But uh, you know, it's it's fun to think of it as 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 there as there are uh, only fans. Fun fact: Do you know why OnlyFans was originally created? Um. I, I don't know. So, so the the beginning of OnlyFans was for artists like you know music artists and like people that like make paintings and do digital photography and things. Um, it was created for them to like sell their work and it like as just a domain where they could host like their own little websites and like sell their work. And it was just completely bombarded by porn stars, so and girls selling nudes. So, so that's like I love that it had such like great intentions and it's still there for that reason like i could start an only fans and sell like my artwork if i don't have any artwork because i'm unartistic as fuck but uh i can make that um only fans and like you know sell like creative content and uh it not have it doesn't have to be porn it's not like a porn website which is hilarious i guess that makes me think of two uh fun theories i'm not sure which uh has more credence or if either of them really has credence, but there's the belief that the uh, that porn is the thing that determines which medium will be successful in terms of uh, movie distribution. So there's a lot of people that claim that Betamax was actually a better system than VHS, but VHS is where the porn companies is what the porn companies started using as their distribution medium, uh-huh. and that's why it won it won out over Betamax. And the same thing with the DVD versus... I can't remember what the other uh, disc was. I mean, you, but, you could uh, you could say Laserdisc maybe. You could say Pornhub is one of the one of the most generous and uh, it, it's obviously one of the most visited websites in the world. But it's also one of the most generous and like benevolent websites in the world as well. Um, starting lots of different uh, like initiatives. I know they had the Stay Home campaign like in the last couple weeks or month or whatever it was. And then uh, didn't they do a thing for like Save the Trees and then Save the Bees? They were like donating. I didn't. S- I didn't see anything about Save the Bees, but I remember that there was a a running joke online like five or six years ago about, I'm going to go home and plant some trees, which is a way of saying, I'm going to go home and watch Pornhub, because they were planting a tree for every video that was watched. I'm fairly certain they did a thing for Save the Bees also. They had like some bee-themed like videos. I mean... Honestly, man, like porn's one of those things, and I it, it used to be so taboo, and it's not nearly as taboo as it was. Everybody watches it, so it's it's kind of funny how like something like so ubiquitous is so taboo. It, I feel like it's very similar to like being in the twenties and drinking. You know, it's illegal and it's kind of taboo to talk about drinking, but everybody was drinking. You know, and it's like pot today. Most everyone smokes. Yeah. You know, almost everyone's smoking pot, but you know, it's like taboo to talk about. Not not nearly as much as it was since it's become legalized, but you're picking up what I'm putting down. 
Um, you gonna use that paper to roll some doobies? Uh, I'm broke, man. I don't have any paper to to roll shit. So that is a that is a Chris Farley, Matt Foley, in a, uh, motivational speaker reference. Oh boy, yep, no, never seen it. So uh, I missed. That is absolute sacrilege. You should well, you should watch that immediately after uh, I mean, after we finish. S- send me a link. Uh, what am I? Your fucking dad? Yeah, send me a link. I am. Uh, I am. Uh, I'm on a on a hardcore Squidbillies binge right now. So, jeez, uh, you've been sending me a lot of them. Uh, the, the, admittedly, the Santa, they're all funny. The Santa scene during the rapture was excellent. I mean, admittedly, they're all fucking funny. Uh, um. Just, uh, uh, but, oh, Merry Christmas, Afghanistan. <laughs> Dude, the humor in that show is so dark and it's so spot on to like southeastern United States. It's unbelievable. And it's just the guy like Earl Collar saying, I gotta go mudding one last time. And he like commits his soul to the devil. I mean, and then Rusty's like, I want to come too. And Earl's like, touch your damn wiener. And he's like, you know, obviously you don't show Rusty touching his wiener, but. You know, they show early, like, slowly floating back down to the, to the earth, and there goes Rusty just flying by him. Man, that's so That show, dude, that show is so great, and they pack so much humor into 11 minutes. It's unbelievable. I feel like most everybody I show it to is like, what the fuck am I watching? This is not funny. This is dumb as shit. But I guess you have to, like, maybe living in the South and knowing people like that really helps, like, um, accentuate the, the humor in it. I find it hilarious. I think it's so funny. Yeah, no. Knowing people that are actually like that does make it a lot funnier. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, guys like, I gotta go mudding one last time. You know, like, that kind of shit. And then Dan Halen, who is like the, obviously a play on the words of Van Halen, is like the, the like, uh, Bill Gates or like Jeff Bezos of, uh, of Dougalville. Um, so... You know, he runs this, like, multi-billion dollar company and super-duper corrupt. Oh, man. The cream! Use the cream! (laughs) Dan Halen's United We Bald, Divided We Tan, Divided We Tan, United We Bald, Hair Restoration and Tanning Cream. Uh, What's he saying? Oh, uh, I can't think of it. Shampoo? Shampoo? It's a hot damn poo! (laughs) Another another great line from that one, and uh, you guys can skip probably another minute and a half because I'm just going to probably ramble about Squidbillies for an, a, another little bit here. But um, at the beginning of that episode, as soon as he like kills that guy who's like the radio host and and replaces him, he goes, "Ground Zero Mosque, no or hell no, no. hell no, <laughs> we'll be right back." Oh man, gotta think for yourself. Look at where it got me. Where it got me and he's in jail. (laughs) I knew you'd like that. I don't think Marone or Tim, no offense, Tim, uh, I don't think they got that joke because I thought that was fucking hilarious. That was the best joke in the entire episode. Uh, You got to think for yourself, Sheriff. Look at where it got me. He's playing cards by himself in a jail cell. Oh man, uh, I got I I could send those all day. I like so since they're only eleven minutes, they're perfect for when I come home from lunch and uh, or for lunch and I make my like quesadilla or whatever I'm eating for lunch and 
I can eat it while I'm, I can watch it while I eat and then, you know, watch, I usually get two episodes in, so 20 minutes I can hit the road, so it's a, it's a nice little mid-afternoon break, um, clear the mind of all the other bullshit that's going on in my life, so. Um, yep, the, uh, in case you're wondering what the other theory you would, we got a little off, off track, but I was also on the subject of OnlyFans and art. Uh, there's a theory out there that the reason why uh, modern art sells for so much money is because it's actually a front for money laundering. I've heard that theory too. It's it's kind of like you know the the prices are inflated, right? Yeah. 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 I've heard that theory too. That it's um it's obviously boosted. Art's always funny. It's you know it's one of those things. It's almost very similar to Bitcoin. It's like you know. I'm only declaring that it's rare and valuable because I want to pay more money for it than you do. You know, and it almost becomes a pissing match. You know, you get these artists... Well, it, Go ahead. Well, it, it goes into the old... Everyone argues about it's not worth, like, $20 million or whatever the fuck people pay for it. Well, guess what? It's worth whatever someone's willing to pay for it. That's right. That's 100%. You know, that's how value works, baby. I mean, that's that's why, you know, I, people say Bitcoin is worthless. No, like Bitcoin's not technically worthless. It's worth as much as someone wants to pay me for it. Does it, you know, it doesn't mean it won't be worthless one day. But but right now, if I have one Bitcoin, someone will pay me eight thousand something something dollars for it. And, you know, the price obviously fluctuates based on demand. That's why you get all these fucking crypto nerds on social media like trying to influence people on um trying to influence people like in their followers list or people on social media to like buy crypto because as you buy crypto the price obviously goes up so there's trying to inflate their price that's what caused the whole boom of like 2013 2014 or whenever that was 2017 that was it was 17 was 2016 yeah yeah it was just a bunch of people saying go buy crypto go buy crypto go buy crypto and then you know it became like a hive mind on twitter and everybody bought it and they're like okay this is dumb sold it off I'm out of the crypto. My game. favorite is the people. My favorite is the people that bought it at like twenty five thousand dollars, and it's like this is still going to keep going up, right? And now it's worth like seven thousand. It's worth seven thousand bucks. I I made like two hundred percent on XRP, which is Ripple, last summer, and I have been ridiculed by um, acquaintances that I sold it, um, and how dumb I was to sell it. Uh, right now, it is worth 50% of what I originally purchased it for. So um, I don't think I'm an idiot for selling it, but, you know, I guess it's just... As long, the, as, as, long as you make money on your sale of it and you aren't one of the people that, like, started it, then I'd say that it's still uh, a net I made 200%. I, I made 200%. Like, I don't understand. You know, I, kill, I don't... That mindset of, like, you're an idiot for just not holding it. Like, dude... Yeah, it might go to a million dollars a coin, but I highly doubt it. So I'm going to use my money for other things like alcohol or, or football tickets. You know, in that case, goes, goes back. To- in, in that case, I use those. I use that crypto to move to Charlotte. So you know, it was it was all it was all good. Goes back to the uh, the old joke that you told me. The uh, the guy who wins the lottery. I spent a million dollars on hookers and blow, and the rest I wasted. Yeah, that's right. He wins. The guy wins. The guy wins twenty, like, you know, hundred million dollars, and he comes out and says, "Man, I spent a two hundred, or I spent twenty million dollars on hookers and blow, and the rest I wasted." 
<laughs> Fucking great. <laughs> oh, uh, That's a great line. I don't know where I heard that. Uh, I don't know where uh, I heard I think that. it's one of those street jokes. I guess. I guess so. So what's new, man? What's going on? We've we've talked about uh, OnlyFans and Squidbillies and um, cryptocurrency and art. So, what? Uh, anything happened in the last week? Um. Well, I started working out. I think I mentioned that last week, and I hate myself. Uh, okay, so you, you, st- you started working out. <laughs> That's the only newsworthy <laughs> change. Uh. Um, any, anything else in my personal life that's changed? No, not especially. Life is, time is non-existent at this point. I only keep track of it because I have to know when the days I have to log in to work are. Uh, otherwise it would just be all one, one long experience running together. It's kind of what life is though, right? It's just one long experience. I want to emphasize long <laughs> uh, I prefer I prefer the description that life is pain. <laughs> we had another. Oh, I I think I think we should. Um, I I want to add a little segment here. We should we should tweet or we should talk about whatever nihilist Arby's um, tweeted. If they had tweeted in the last week, they had one today. I don't know if you saw it. I did not. All right, I'll, I'll share it with you. Um, so uh, first tweet in I guess about a week. They said. Uh, it's day 69 of quarantine, so you know what to do. Or, oh God, I can't fucking read. It's day 69 of quarantine, so you know what that means. That's right. Time to stand a corpse length away from your dying loved one as they drown in their own lungs for the sake of a perverse intended mutual satisfaction that neither of you actually enjoy. Eat Arby's. <laughs> the, the, I, think, I think Nihilist Arby's is the, is the, best, is the best Twitter account on the internet right now I just, it's definitely up there uh, I, I don't know how they come up with this shit but it's always just like incredibly nihilist I just don't know how I don't know how they do it I really don't know how they do it uh, Drill is up there too Drill's good Dr- he's been around for a while too oh yeah Wint Wint Drill uh, um as I slowly turn into a corn cob. Wait, is that what he... Did he tweet something? Uh, no, that's just one that uh, I remember was like thrown around about how people basically... Old man yells at Cloud, but they decided instead of using the Simpsons uh, meme, they used Went Drill. It was something along the lines of, you slowly and slowly yell at me as you turn into a corn cob. <laughs> He's got some good ones. Brand accounts should do cool shit instead of sucking ass. They should post their dick and say they had to do it because they lost a bet. <laughs> um, I mean, he just he tweeted a he tweeted a photo yesterday. It's a picture of a fat guy and Dr. Phil, and the headline says, "Fat guy, quote unquote, bikes across country to save his life or to scam America?" Question mark. Oh man. We don't deserve Twitter, I'm telling you. Um, I think th- I think that that's one of those things where it depends on what you mean by that statement. 
Because a lot of people would say it's the biggest cesspool on the internet. I think Twitter is the greatest. Twitter can find humor in literally anything. I mean, I mean uh, anything. Yes. That's, that's why I love Twitter. But it's also basically an experiment in how vile... Well, it's an experiment in how poorly individuals can treat each other over the internet. Right, because you, you have to surmise how much you hate someone in less than 140 characters. So well, it's 280 now. Uh, well... You know, yeah. But who reads? If I see a 280 character tweet, I'm not reading that shit. I missed the Wild West Twitter where it was like, it was strictly 140 characters. Good luck. You know, like if you post a picture, you got like 25 characters left. So you better get it out fast. Um, <laughs> you couldn't thread tweets. Old school Twitter was great. I've been on, how long have you been on Twitter? I think technically I've had a Twitter for like, since 2012 but I really haven't used it much I didn't really start using it much until like 2015 yeah see I was I was a 2011 guy maybe 2010 and 2010 I think let me look I can get up look through sorry for the audio quality if you can hear my thumb all over the goddamn phone uh whew, um I continue to lose followers by the way 2009 so uh I'm uh I'm a, kind of a Twitter whore, I guess. Um, but Weren't they founded in 2007? I think so. I was one of the first... I know I was one of the first people in my high school on Twitter. Because um, I remember, like, I was, being, I was at the beach when I made it with a buddy. And I was like, let's make Twitters. We made, we made Twitters. Which, you know, I guess that's what you do in high school rather than, you know, hey, let's get drunk and try to swim the sharks. It's, hey, hey, let's make Twitters and eat snow cones. So, um Anyway, um, yeah, 2009, um, I think August 2009, so, had it for a while, I guess over 12 years now, 11 years, and I've never gone viral, classic. Classic shit. <clears throat> where, where are my accolades? Yelled, <laughs> yelled Ryan into the void. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's oh, this was within the last week. You triggered me about uh, about uh, being some guy talking shit about rights or whatever. That was something that happened in the last week. Oh, yeah, that's Jason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did you feel about that? He, he is now re- reverted to in our group chats of just uh, blatantly calling me a... He called me Ryan Jefferson Davis Morrison the other day because I think that we should open the country up. So, um, oh, I thought I thought he had managed to start reading minds. No, 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 no. Um, uh, so you know, in classic liberal liberal form, he immediately reverted to just calling me racist because he had disagreed with me. So. Um, well, that's completely inaccurate. If someone if someone wants to open up, it's because they want old people to die. It's not because they're racist. What was even his argument for why you're racist? I, he didn't really bring it up, and when I questioned it, he just said he was hungover. So I, you know, I I don't know. Well, wow, so he's just a cunt. But I called him out. I called him out for it because this bastard um, who was talking about how people are going to ruin sports for him because they want to open up and they're protesting the lockdowns. Uh, what do you think he did on uh, Friday night? Did he watch 
Uh, what was Friday? He lives in Missouri. Was there a NASCAR race this weekend? No, he did not watch NASCAR. There was, oh, okay. but he did not watch NASCAR. It was on Sunday at Darlington. Uh, he went out to a bar. Do you think he wore a mask? Uh, I'm going to guess no, no by your tone. No, he did not. No, he did not. But hey, you know, it's the people protesting um, the lockdowns that are going to ruin. ruin uh, you know, here's the thing with that. Don't be a hypocrite. If you're going to sit there on your little pedestal and critique people for not wearing masks and ruining social distancing, don't go out to a bar in a public place and not wear a mask. It's, it's real easy. Pick one. Pick a side. I don't care. You know, I respect your opinion. I respect your viewpoint on it. Pick a fucking side. Stick with it. But I don't necessarily respect your viewpoint or opinion. Well, you uh, never do, just, so it's fine. It's just, you know. I, <laughs> oh, I was saying in the in the general sense, not specifically yours. Oh, okay, okay, okay. All right. Fair enough. It, both are still accurate, though, but continue. Yeah, no. Uh, I'm just going through. Um, well, so that Nancy, was Nancy your I, I don't know if you're gonna, this is going to show up in your dumpster fire of the week, but Nancy Pelosi called uh, Donald Trump morbidly obese. Uh, yes. And she is factually incorrect. Yeah, I, He's just regular obese. Do you think she... I checked. Spinzone, do you think she confused him with Big Jim? Big Jim. I am... I'm not 100% sure that she knows who Big Jim is. She has to know who Big Jim is. She has to know who Big Jim is. How are... If you are in national politics and you don't know who Big Jim is, you are doing yourself a disservice. Honestly, it's just so, so entertaining. How do you feel about Big Jim? He's a moron that never should have been elected. Yeah, but he no, runs the Greenbrier, man. It's, the ni- it's literally the nicest place in West Virginia by a mile. That's, yes, okay. What, what's your point? If he can run the Greenbrier, he can run the state. That is not even remotely true. I'm sure. I'm sure you're more of a Richard Ojeda guy, actually. So. Ojeda wasn't he the one that was trying to run yeah, he for, ran for uh, president? He ran for, he ran for president. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. actually he a, a, a Blankenship guy. He was a West Virginia State delegate that decided to run for fucking president because he was in the Marines. I mean, just the dumbest shit in the world. I, I knew some people, um, they don't listen to the podcast, so I'll just call them out. Uh, George, um, uh, what's his last name? Um, Not super, um, wait. The, the fucking student body president. Capel? Yeah, yeah. He was my fraternity. He buddy. went to my high school. Yeah, George Capel was on his, like, uh, was on his like, staff, Ojeda's staff, for a while. <laughs> which, I find, which I find just fucking hilarious. But, um, yeah. Yeah, good. He was a. Uh, uh, I'm actually, I'm actually more of a Don Blankenship guy. I don't know anything about Don Blankenship. He is the one that was while running for Congress in 2018 during the primaries released a released a series of ads talking about how he was going to fight against the establishment uh, headed up by Cocaine Mitch. <laughs> He is the one that originated the nickname Cocaine Mitch for Mitch McConnell. That's fucking awesome. Does Mitch do a bunch of coke? No, there was some accusation that like Mitch's 
father-in-law or something uh, had a shipping company that uh, was discovered to have had a drug shipment on it or something like that, I think. And basically since then, uh, Mitch McConnell's basically just embraced that. And I think at one point he sold t-shirts where he had photoshopped his face onto Al Pacino uh, from the scene in Scarface where there's just a giant pile of coke on the desk. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yep. Did Okay, so uh, Embrace Debate. Has Trump normalized, like, giving politicians nicknames like that? I don't know. I think it was fairly common... For quite a while, I mean, Boss Tweed was a guy back in the twenties, if I'm not mistaken. Who who was doing that kind of thing? I don't know jack shit about Boss no, Tweed. No, Boss Boss Tweed was the uh, the guy from uh, New York. I can't remember what it was, but it was some scandal where he was basically he was basically running shit and uh, corruption and Tammy Hall. That's what it's called. Did you not take U.S. history? I did. Dude, it was seventh grade, so I, I mean... I... They didn't teach you U.S. history after seventh grade? Oh, no, grade I'm sorry. I took, it, I took it in high school. Maybe tenth grade. It's been a fucking while, man. It's been a long time. I, I, could, not, I could not really... And plus, I found, that, I found like the 20s very boring, so I probably didn't pay much attention to it. The 20s is when... Oh, that's because there wasn't alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, there wasn't legal alcohol. Yeah. Well, yeah. NASCAR was invented, which is kind of cool, but um, mm-hmm. um, I do love. That I learned how NASCAR was invented from Ricky Bobby. I do love how NASCAR got its roots in just literally, like, basically drug running. <laughs> I mean, it's, I, that's the most American fucking thing in the world, man. Like, yeah, stock and so did the Kennedys. Stock, stock car racing got its start by running uh, illegal moonshine through the hills of North Carolina, which is just awesome. It's just fucking awesome, man. I love it. I love this country. This country is great. And, you know, anyone, I know I sent you that link on Reddit today about, oh, yeah, uh, Reddit loves to go take the whole narrative that USA bad, but um, I don't know how you look at this country and don't think it's the greatest country in the world. It's Oh, it's awesome. It is, without question, the greatest country on earth. It's awesome. God bless the USA. I mean, I mean <clears throat> it's going to be my dumpster fire of the week, and you know, I guess we'll talk about it later, but... I mean, England literally will tax you for anything at this point, you know. Um, you know, Germany has... Well, we, we were talking about Germany earlier this week having, like, this big negative thing. I can't remember what it was. Um, fuck. Great podcasting right here. Uh, do we want to get into actual news? Or... Yeah, let's go into actual news. Let's go. Okay, so uh, I believe... I believe the most noteworthy thing is we found out that Andrew Cuomo has possibly the largest balls of anyone in politics yeah. not named Donald Trump. That one was good. I'd like to, please explain it. Please explain. Okay. So I believe it was yesterday. Andrew Cuomo was holding a press conference and was asked about the controversial nature of his uh of his handling of the nursing homes. Which, in case you're wondering, 
They have been consistently under consistently undercounting the number of deaths from the nursing homes in New York City, uh, possibly on purpose because they had a policy in which any asymptomatic person from a nursing home was legally uh, obligated to be accepted back by said nursing home, thus exposing the staff and other residents of the nursing home to uh, COVID-19. Now, in case you're wondering why that's bad, uh, in every westernized country, the, uh, the, I believe the average uh, death percentage that comes from nursing homes ranges from 40 to 60%. Yeah, it's really high. It's really so, high. And, and it's worth noting, this is not people of nursing home age. This is people that lived in nursing homes. And so with this policy, he is, I'm, I'm not sure if he was the sole person responsible for that decision, but everyone who took part in that was almost, is essentially personally responsible for the deaths of at least a few thousand people in New York. And I believe New Jersey, and I believe Pennsylvania. Right. Yep. And possibly a few other places. Uh, but hey, Ron DeSantis opened up some beaches in Jacksonville. So he's the one. The that, same thing. He's right? the one that wants Grandma to die. Yep. 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 Exactly. So he was asked about the controversial nature of his nursing home policy. Well, last week, after eight weeks of not doing fuck all except actually making the situation worse with nursing homes, he actually instigated protocols to uh, basically require the employees at nursing homes to be tested regularly and that there were higher restrictions on, on people who can enter nursing homes and all of these things. So his response to the question about the controversial nature of his of his handling of nursing homes was talking about how people were upset with him for how strict he was being and going too far with protecting the nursing homes. <laughs> the absolute was fucking he, god was he, of was someone he, who was, was he was he playing with his nipple rings while he was doing this? Like I, I feel like he was just trying to get off on this somehow. I think it, I think it could have it very well could have been. Like the uh, the Comcast people from the South Park, where they literally let down little windows to their nipples, and he just was rubbing it while <laughs> while he was explaining <laughs> to this MSNBC reporter how he's doing such a great job. Dude, Cuomo, I think Cuomo is loving all of this press he's getting. Seriously, I didn't know who Andrew Cuomo well, was before this fucking you? thing. They're literally sucking his. D- they are. Uh, they're about three steps away from actually filleting him on live TV. You know why? Because he's not Donald Trump. Let's ignore the fact that he is more directly responsible for t- for about ten thousand deaths than Donald Trump is in terms of COVID nineteen. Yeah, dude. But he's he's the governor of New York, and he's a Democrat. He's got a D next to his name, which means he's a fucking saint. He could Well, don't forget though. He He could I mean, dude, Cuomo, he's getting some real tough interviews from his literal fucking brother on CNN. Cuomo could drive his fucking car drunk through a crowd of a bunch of fucking toddlers and they'd say it's not his problem. It's he, he it was he was probably saving them from COVID-19. He's doing a great job. It, dude, like I I get so tired of the of the 
agenda politics and actually this person is going to be my boomer of the week so we'll get to it but i was speaking to someone this week and they literally hung up the phone when i mentioned that um when i mentioned the fact that i can't find a good news source because they all seem to have an agenda she she was like are you fucking kidding me hung up the phone so um i'm just so tired of it man like it just you know yeah, Cuomo has blood on his hands from the way he handled this, uh, the way he handled the uh, nursing home deaths, and he's being praised because oh, he made changes in the last couple of days, so it's it's good. He's, he's doing a great job. He's doing a great job. Keep it up, man. Well, in fairness, uh, he's also being doing well because he's being compared to the other biggest politician in New York, Bill De Blasio, who just just this morning <laughs> called out. A yeshiva school for having uh, for having class with seventy uh, Jewish students uh, of the age ten or younger. Now I'm not sure how informed you are on the dangers to children. I'm well informed. Uh, they almost they don't show and, symptoms and they heart they don't even carry it. That's what's amazing about this. That's what that fact right there is. What really puzzles me and makes me kind of bring the whole bioweapon idea back into my head. The fact that children not only aren't contagious, but also like, or or not, I'm sorry, I misphrased that. Or I don't know how to say that. I'm symptomatic. Yeah, I'm like, I'm kind of, I'm like three or four or five beers in. So forgive me for my rambling here. But um, they're not contagious and they're asymptomatic. That's exactly right. So... It almost makes it feel like a bioweapon that, like, they, they've spared the children, which would, you know, if you try to kill children, it's kind of a war crime. So, um. Well, biological weapons are generally considered war crimes on their face. So that's what makes me think that this isn't a biological weapon, because if it were, then you would want to wipe out the next generation, especially an Eastern culture like China where everything is about the family and the collective and carrying on your uh, your family's honor and legacy. Interesting. Okay. Well, good point, but uh, um, maybe, I mean... Maybe, you like your idea better? Yeah, I like my idea better. <laughs> uh, but, but anyway, going back, going back to basically calling out, uh, calling out Bill de Blasio for being a total piece of shit, uh, he... There are people swarming the beaches. There are people going out to bars, people going out to parks. All kinds of gatherings taking place in New York City because they've basically decided, fuck this noise. But he decides to call out, and he doesn't, he calls out yeshiva, which is specifically a Jewish school. He easily could have just pointed out that it is a school that is gathering of 70, uh, that is teaching 70 students, a private school. No, he specifically calls out the Jewish private school, as he previously had called out specifically the Jewish community for holding a funeral, despite the fact that multiple people have still held funerals and multiple people have still held uh, weddings in New York City, that where their religion and race were not included in the information that he was tweeting out about. So he is specifically targeting the Jewish community, trying to suggest that they are uniquely failing to follow these guidelines that he's calling out. That's not racist at all. No, it's anti-Semitic. It's completely different. <laughs> completely different. 
completely fucking different. Boy, that seems problematic. Well, you know, the, uh, you know this was going to happen. So, especially in the largest collection of Jewish people outside of Israel. In New York City? No. Yep. You don't say. Jews live in yep. New York Second City? Second largest, I believe, is Los Angeles. Wow. No. No way. I don't believe you. You, know, you sure they're not in the North Georgia mountains? I think I'd be, I feel safe hazarding that guess. Yeah. Um... Seems problematic, but I'm sure old Billy Boy will um, get by on Skid. Because I, I believe he also has a, a D next to his name. Uh, I think everyone hates him and that he's actually in his final term as governor or as mayor. So it's not that, uh, you know what, that big of a You know what deal. would be awesome is if Trump <coughs> um, didn't win this. Well, I want him to win this election because we do not need Joe Biden for four years. If Trump were to somehow lose this election... And then he just ran for mayor of New York City. <laughs> Didn't you hear that his family moved down to to uh, Florida? Are they in Florida now? I think technically. No, okay. Well, good for them. I'm not surprised. Florida's kind of nice. It's a nice area down there. I hate Florida, but Florida's nice. I hate Florida because I don't understand Florida, but, like, there's just so much money down there. I guess, you know... What I don't understand about Florida is, like, I was in Fort Lauderdale back in August for a bachelor party. I don't know what industry is down there, but there's just money everywhere. It makes no sense. It makes no sense to me. Miami's the same way. I get that there's, like, some financial institutions, but, like, you know, $350 million yachts, or, you know, even, like, 5 or 6 or $7 million yachts. Like, what do you people do? Luxury cars, enormous houses. It makes no sense to me. Yeah, I don't know fuck all about Florida. Well, I can tell you their, their governor is doing a great job. So Let's go Ron. Ron DeSantis. Not to be confused with Ronnie, who we can talk about later. He's our, constru- our favorite construction worker. Yep. Um, uh, moving on to... Did you have another piece of news you want yeah, to Yeah, Moderna. About? Moderna is um, close to a vaccine. How do we feel about it? Uh, I'll believe it when I see it. So the interesting thing about Moderna is they don't actually have any drugs in production or vaccines in production ever. They're like a startup company. Um, what their their stock valuation? I think today was around seventy five bucks, maybe eighty bucks. What do you think they were valued at in January? Fifteen. Yeah, fifteen bucks. Fif- Fucking really? Fifteen bucks. Yeah, seriously, fifteen bucks. Fuck yes. Yeah, that was a great guess. Uh, <laughs> that was a great guess. Fifteen bucks in January. Um, interesting thing about the vaccine, and have you seen any of the news reports, um, especially from people like Dr. Fauci and from people that are very high up in health organizations? Have you noticed how they all continue to use the idea that antibodies aren't proof you're immune to the virus? Uh, that is a thing that is going on. Yes. Okay. Explain to me why we're trying to make a vaccine if antibodies don't make you, you immune to the virus. Uh, for the same reason that we have a flu vaccine every year. Okay. I need you to explain that one. So I, I, I think you're wrong, okay, but I want, so, you to, I want you to explain how you're wrong. So the thought process, and I'm not saying they're right. I'm just saying this is what I believe their thought process to be is that the reason why antibodies may not necessarily be uh, evidence that you won't 
get sick again is because there's the possibility that the coronavirus could mutate and therefore the antibodies would be ill-equipped to fight off that infection until uh, you've actually suffered the symptoms <coughs> and developed new okay, antibodies. Okay, so, so I agree with you. They, it, the coronavirus could mutate, but um, if the coronavirus is going to mutate that much, the vaccine for the coronavirus will be completely useless. So why are well, we... Well, let, let, me, let me proceed. Let me finish what I'm fucking talking about. Every year, the flu vaccine is only like 40 to 45% effective. But the reason that suggested that you still get the flu vaccine, which is essentially just a guess by doctors of which uh, strain of the flu is going to be the worst, is that if that 40 to 45% of people do uh, develop those antibodies and prevent uh, contraction of the disease, then that limits the spread of the disease, thus limiting the total number of cases and the total number of deaths. So they're essentially trying to do the same thing with coronavirus with an eventual vaccine. So you believe the idea that the antibodies may not make you immune? That they may not make you yeah, immune? Yeah, so like I went and got tested today. Well, yes. I mean, of course they, they may not. I don't, I'm not a fucking doctor. I just don't, I guess my point being is like this has been, it's been politicized again. Like, this idea that, oh, if you have antibodies, you're not immune, so you need to stay inside, is essentially the idea, right? The, the other interesting note... Oh, did you see... Sorry, did you see uh, it was either the Boston mayor or the Massachusetts governor said that the reason why they can't open up is because they haven't had enough cases, so not enough people have been uh, exposed to the virus, and, not enough, and therefore not enough people have antibodies and are resistant to the virus, so they can't open up. So expose people to the virus. This this um, op-ed I read. I love Wall Street Journal editorials, by the way. I, I literally live for them. Um, every morning I look forward to logging in and reading the new ones up for the day. Because they're always seemingly on point. Uh, maybe because I lean right and a lot of those editorials also lean right. Uh, but they seem to be pretty fair. But, you know, I, they're not quite Fox News uh, right wing. But they're, they definitely lean right. You know, I mean, Dan Crenshaw wrote one today um, to give you some perspective on that. Um, but uh, the article basically said that the most un-American and anti uh, – I need to look up the verbiage. I want to use the correct verbiage here, so give me a second while I look this up. But essentially what they were talking about was how, um, how the idea that you – like if you have to have antibodies to go out in public, it's like the most anti-American thing – here it is, the political assault on antibody tests. Um, blah, blah, blah. Many, here, this, is the, this is the paragraph I found very profound. Many have suggested using an immunity passport system, a license to return to work while awaiting an effective vaccine. It's a terrible idea. It would create a perverse incentive to get infected intentionally to escape the lockdown, the opposite of the public health goal. And it's plainly discriminatory and violates American health privacy traditions. Immunity passports have no place in a free society. That's what I was getting at. Immun it is. That is 100% correct. Yeah, that, that, that phrase. Immunity passports have no place in a free society. Absolutely. The most, the most important thing to remember is that if anyone asks you, have you, <laughs> tells you, 
that in order to enter their place of business, you have to have uh, already had and recovered from COVID-19. Have you had COVID-19? The correct response to that question is go fuck yourself. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, dude, this is the this is the world we're living in right here. Like, just the, the 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 headlines on this fucking on this fucking uh, on on the Wall Street Journal opinion. It's deadly to fear the emergency room. Shelter in place doesn't apply if you're having a heart attack. Like, why is that? A f- why is that a headline? That shouldn't be something that people need to be fucking told. No. No. The, then. Then there's the fact, did you see that Paul Krugman took the the firm, the very firm and controversial and brave stance of uh, we need to support workers and not kill them? Wait, okay, I need you to, I need you to, to, to expound on that. That was the title of his article today. Paul Krugman, the Nobel winning economist who has a column in the New York Times. This week his column was titled... We need to support workers, not kill them. So what? What was his? What was his goal there? What was he saying? Uh, probably some. I didn't. I don't have a subscription to the New York Times, so I can only see the the headline. But regardless of how he expounds on it, in what way is that a controversial opinion? In what way is he arguing with anyone, really? Like, I'm sure there are a lot of people that don't care about the lives of frontline workers. But I'm seriously doubting that there are people out there openly cheering for the deaths of frontline workers. Yeah, I don't think there's many people out there that are hoping that happens. At all. <laughs> I, it's this, dude, the false choice, the false choice narrative that's been presented to the American public by the media is, is, is criminal, I think. I think it's so criminal. And this is, this is something I wanted to get into you, uh, with you and explain. The fact that America is so privileged that, they do, that we as people don't understand the general concept of having <coughs> to choose between two bad options is fucking mind-boggling to me. When we have to do it every time we have a fucking presidential election. But when it comes to us making decisions that will actually affect our lives on a regular basis and might put our lives in danger, people just can't seem to figure out how that works. And and my favorite explanation for the concept of not having a good option is going, is actually the discussion of child labor. And it's some, and it was the way it was best explained to me is that if you go back to the early, like the early 1900s when child labor was still legal or go to, Uh, China now where they still have child labor and look at a uh, like an eight or nine year old that's working in a factory yep that is horrible it's terrible and the fact that they're doing that is disgusting but you need to think about why are they doing that and the reason why they're doing that is because if they aren't working and getting that income then they will literally starve to death and so that leaves you a choice you cannot, because this is not good old US of A in 2020. This is China in rural areas in 2020, where they have 1.3 billion people, and not everyone has enough money to pay for food to feed their family. Fun fact so here. So you have the option 
do you have your kid assemble sneakers for 12 hours a day and feed them, or do you let them starve to death? You're going to feed them and have them put together sneakers for 12 hours a day. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, it goes back to... Um, it, it goes back to this idea of... Um, oh, God damn it. I lost my train of thought again. I had a great point to make there. Talking about, fault, you know, two bad choices. Um, yeah, so, so essentially that's where, that's where we are. People can't seem to realize that the two bad choices are either we leave the country, uh, shut down, basically indefinitely... I'm going to vent here while you try. No, I have it. I have it. I've got it. I've got it. So we go back to 2008. What did the banks do in 2008 that completely trashed the economy the first time? Uh, They provided uh, loans to people that they knew could not pay off those loans uh, because they anticipated the federal government bailing them out. You, so essentially what you're saying is the, the banks took out inherent risk knowing that they were so maybe they didn't know this i'd like to believe they didn't know they were big enough not to fail but but okay that's that's a good point quick question yeah do you remember what the point at which the stock market started to collapse was i don't it was when lehman brothers collapsed yeah so the first bank collapsed and wasn't protected by the federal government is when all the thi- all the shit hit the fan. So I'm going to say that it was probably because they knew with the FDIC and everything that stood, that the people and the government stood to gain, they knew that there weren't going to be any consequences. So, so what did we learn in that, in that 2008 recession because of the Obama bailout bills? What did we, what did we learn from those? And, and companies receiving the bailout bills, banks, automotive companies, what happened? What did what did we learn, or what, what did what, what was it, what learn? what did subconscious what did our subconscious learn in that in that time period? I'm I'm crafting you towards a response. And I think you're going to give me what what I think you're going to give me. So that moral hazard has no negative consequences. One hundred and ten fucking percent. So it's been ingrained in our thought process now, right? That. We, the government should be, the, the government is responsible uh, f- to, the, res- the government is responsible for averting our risk, right? Yes. And that's the problem with society today. We are going to sit here in our house and say the government is responsible for, for, for protecting me from the outside and what's going to happen. Look at FEMA, look at, look at, um, What's going on with, I mean, currently with unemployment and the the big unemployment bill, which is, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, it's helpful, but look at what uh, the bailout bills have done for small business and for banks and for automotive companies and for the airlines, right? There's no incentive to take risk right now, and that's the problem. This country was built on risk. We literally signed a document that, that said, hey, Britain, go fuck yourself. We're not paying these taxes anymore. Okay? <laughs> like, I, believe the, uh, I believe the famous quote, uh, maybe, I think it was from Benjamin Franklin, was uh, either we, either, <coughs> whether or not, we're either going to, uh, to win this together or we're going to hang together. Yes. And that spirit is gone because, because the government is, is this big entity that can just protect us from whatever bad thing is out there. And it's not just the Defense Department. 
It's it's the fucking Treasury Department. It's Jerome Powell. Just money sh- money printer go burr. You know. <laughs> Did you like that meme, by the way? But, oh, it was great. <laughs> oh, what was it? Uh, uh, oh, Paperboy One, Paperboy Two, Paperboy Three. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no. A, fr- a friend of mine was was telling me that apparently the company they work for is doing work with the Fed, uh, like one of the divisions of the Fed, and was asking what my opinion of it was because uh, she's fairly liberal and she didn't really know much about the Fed. And so I basically just explained two things to her: one, that it's a private bank, and two. Or three things. Two, that it creates money out of thin air. It doesn't even have to... It literally doesn't even have to print the money anymore. (laughs) And three, that every time it it prints money, it makes uh, the Fed and the banks that it sells... That it uh, buys uh, assets and liabilities from richer... Whereas every individual and small business is made poorer every time they they create yes, money one, because of the laws of supply and demand. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. So so because of these institutions, we are we as Americans and, and you know, we've become risk averse. You know, no bad thing should ever happen to us. We should never have to take risk anymore because the government will come in and take care of us. And that's bullshit, man. Dan Crenshaw, this is the article I was looking for. He, he wrote an op-ed. Dan Crenshaw is the one-eyed um, ex-Navy SEAL uh, congressman from Texas. He's very conservative. Bless Texas. So take this with a grain of salt. But he, he wrote he, – he made a good point here, and he was talking about risk. And, and, and I, I – right now we are at a time in our country where we need to consider – we need to consider risk and consider the negative consequences of the risk – whether we take it or not, um, and th- this is what he wrote, and I, I found it, I found it very intriguing. Conservatives understand basic morality differently too. Research shows that among five moral foundations—care, fairness, authority, and tradition—in-group loyalty and purity, liberals prioritize care and fairness, while conservatives engage all five about equally. The liberal weighting means that far more emphasis is placed on a single consideration. If it saves lives even, or I'm sorry, I misread that. If it saves even one life, dot, 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 uh, unquote. So, you know, that, that whole phrase about, well, that is, one, by the way, that is literally the dumbest phrase you can man- mention if you're discussing poli- public policy. No life is worth because a point Because it essentially means that you are ignoring everything. Right, right. To the to the exclusion of, of to the exclusion of others, such as cost to society, liberals equate these costs with simple monetary hardship, easily replaced by a government check. Conservatives realize economic devastation may affect lives for years, altering entire trajectories. And that's I, I found that that was just an excerpt from his um, from his op-ed. I would recommend anybody go everybody go read it you know he, he said why does reopening polarize us it was a the may 18th editorial in the wall street journal by dan crenshaw um well that's that's like it, it really it goes to that viral video that dave port and i let out and i can't remember if that was this during this past i week believe it was like last before. thursday it was right after we recorded our podcast yeah he had a a short video where he basically was talking about how people 
uh, have basically moved the goalposts from being we need to flatten the curve to now we need to find a vaccine, and basically just having a quick summary of what we're we've been talking about for weeks, uh, much longer and less entertaining. Right. Uh, <laughs> the but he made the point, and I think a lot of small business owners would agree with this, even though his business is no longer a small business. Uh, that he, if he was given the option of risking dying from coronavirus or removing that risk and having to shut down Barstool, he would take that risk a hundred times out of a hundred. And that he would, he would rather die of coronavirus than for him to be forced to shut down the, the company that he built up for 20 years. I think what we're seeing a lot of, and you know, this silent majority term was kind of coined in the 2016 election when Hillary Clinton. Uh, it was actually coined back in the 80s. I didn't know. I, I didn't know that. I'm surprised you know that right off the top of your head. So props to you for that for that fact. Um, the silent majority that you know has obviously come up. I stand corrected now. Has come up in multiple elections. Um, I think you're seeing more and more of that silent majority as things start to open up and people start to go back out into public. I went to the beach this weekend. Dude, it was like coronavirus had never happened. And I'm not talking, you know, it was a bunch of young guys out there shotgunning beers and, you know, doing cartwheels on the beach. It was a bunch of old guys out there fishing, um, going to bait shops and, you know, buying fishing gear and shopping at small business restaurants. I mean, I was in the Outer Banks, which was, you know, this, not, not the, like, commercialized Outer Banks like Duck. I was down in the Redneck Outer Banks, Cape Hatteras. Um, and uh, it was interesting, man. Like, those people don't have a voice on social media. And, you know, they don't have a voice on Twitter. Or they don't have a voice on Facebook. And they're not calling into CNBC or MSNBC to talk to Rachel Maddow about how hard their life is. Um, but those are the people that go vote. And, and it, it's, it's very telling to me, you know, you look at Florida beaches, you look at North Carolina beaches, you look at South Carolina in general, everywhere that's open is crowded. And I, I think everybody's kind of under the impression like, you know, it, it, and it could be, to, to, in all fairness, it could be a bit of stupidity. I think, um, I think that some people probably shouldn't be out if they're, if they're risk averse or they're, they're, um, or they're, they're at risk to have a higher fatality percentage based on their health condition. But I think people are just kind of like, you know what, man, like I will take the risk of, I will take the risk of, of going out and, and, uh, drinking on the chance that I may get coronavirus. And I think that's for the third time. Oh, were you not talking about yourself? No, 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 no. I'm, I get tested. So we didn't really mention this directly. I got tested, uh, today. So uh, I am. I will find out whether I was completely full of shit, uh, <laughs> or if I actually had coronavirus tomorrow. Um, so keep an eye on the old Twitter. I will tweet about it or at least post something publicly about my test results. Um, oh, by the way, while I'm interrupting you, uh, the first noted use in a uh, political campaign was Warren G. Harding in 1919. Wow, R.I.P. And uh, Warren Harding, Warren was, Harding was like the worst president ever. <laughs> he was fucking. He's up there, but yet <laughs> he was, he's still. He knew how to. He knew how to manage a depression, 
which is to not do fucking anything about it and let the market do itself. That's look it up. The, uh, the for, it's called the Forgotten Depression of 1921. There's the there's the uh, there's the old anarchist of. Uh, of <laughs> Feel free to look it up. There was a uh, what happened in 1929 essentially also happened in 1921, and it went away in a year. Because it didn't do any of the policies that Herbert Hoover and FDR put into place. Hoover was just a sack. I mean, I mean, I guess history paints him to be an idiot, but uh, well, he was. But the thing that they ignore is the fact that he was implementing uh, the first steps of everything that FDR intended to put into place. Ah, okay. So he was just basically like a. He was like the the. So if if FDR and Herbert Hoover were a concert. It was basically like um, uh, the Red Hot. He was the opening. It, yeah, it was Red Hot Chili Peppers opening up for um, Rage Against the Machine. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, man. That would be a great lineup. How good would that be? Damn. That'd be a great lineup. Not sure if that's quite the quite the connection you quite the metaphor you think it is. Uh, but in case. Uh, in case you were wondering, uh, recent UCLA uh, papers have estimated that FDR's policies prolonged the Great Depression by nine years. That seems problematic. Thank God the Japanese yep. bombed us. <laughs> I mean, well, we're, we're, actually, spin zone, spin zone is Pearl Harbor the best thing to happen in the United States? <laughs> no, the best thing to happen in the United States was the Holocaust. How? Because it created it, it, it created it created an ally in the Middle East that we never had before. <laughs> uh, well, there's that, but also it's because it was uh, connected to the rise of the Nazi Party, who had domination of Western Europe in its eyes. And if that if World War II hadn't decimated pretty much every Western country. Uh, then we wouldn't have had such domination over the means of production for the entirety of the 40s. Yeah, we were very, we were very uh, isolationist up until that point. Yeah, I, I it's do, amazing how getting bombed drives you out of that. I do, I do, love, how, uh, I do love how Woodrow Wilson was like, we're going to create this League of Nations so we don't have to go to war. And then every, like, all of our politicians were like, yeah, fuck that. <laughs> 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 I think that's Woodrow Wilson, the actual worst president of all time. I think that's so damn funny. Uh, why do you say that? I kind of like Woody. Uh, Woodrow Wilson created the FBI to suppress anti-war protesters and suffragettes. <coughs> so I guess he's not all bad. Uh, <laughs> he also I disavow. I disavow that in case I ever run for office one day. He also basically. <laughs> He actually essentially forced us into World War One, uh, which this is getting into a personal theory of mine, is that Wo Woodrow Wilson is directly responsible for the rise of the Nazis, the Holocaust, and World War II. Mm -hmm. uh, so he dragged us into a war we had no part of in 1917, in which Germany and Britain and uh, the two sides were essentially about to reach a stalemate and have to and have to negotiate a ceasefire 
until the United States came in to save the ass of France, Russia, and Britain. Great Britain, yep. thus removing them from the negotiating table because they had the backup and Germany did not stand a chance. Had Germany had a better survive, had that happened, then Germany would now have signed the Treaty of Versailles, which basically fucked over Germany uh, for the next 20, uh, for the next 20 years or so. Yep. That which would not have led to their debts being called in at the beginning of the Great Depression, thus causing the complete collapse of the Weimar Republic and the power vacuum allowing for the rise of Adolf Hitler, who then took control and uh, had the expansion into other countries, which led to World War II. Well, if they had left, if they had just left that let that bastard into uh, art school, we wouldn't have this problem. He was denied. In Austria. Yep. Yep. Did you listen to that? Um, did you listen to that twisted history? The butterfly yes. effect. Yeah, that was good. Well, the one guy, the one guy, literally got hungry and went and ate a sandwich, and that's why World War One started. Oh yeah, no. If you really want to hear about World War One, I, I definitely recommend Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. He has a six-part, twenty-five total hours on wow. everything that happened. All of it's good. Uh, yes. That's a lot. That's like four hours each. There's one There's one episode that literally covers one month of the war. So much happened. Holy shit. I don't know if you could listen to that. World War One is one of those, and they talked about this in Twisted History, that World War One's kind of those, like, one of those forgotten wars. You know, it's, it's not necessarily forgotten, but I feel like not a lot of people know a whole lot about it. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. That's why 1917 was so fucking awesome. Man, that's one of the best movies I've ever seen in my life. That means, uh, it's on. It's on my top ten at least. I mean, I, it, well, I, it might be my favorite. I, I'd say it's it's in my top five for sure. I mean, that movie is is just so well done. It covers so many emotional gambits. The spoiler alert. Uh, pause the movie if you haven't, or pause the pause the podcast if you've seen the movie. Um, skip uh, or skip ahead. Skip ahead five. minutes. Yeah, skip ahead five minutes. We're not going to talk for five minutes, but we're not going to talk about anything important for the next five minutes anyway. <laughs> But, uh, like, dude, it covers so many emotional gambits. So, you know, you got, the obviously, the two guys on this little mission. And, you know, he almost dies in the cave, right? And then yeah. um, he does die trying to save that German fucking pilot's life, which is, like, a complete twist. It's just insane. Um, but that comes out completely out of nowhere. That moment when he's in the, in the, in the house with that woman and her baby is just... It's just mind-boggling because he's by himself. That was that was my favorite scene, actually, and not as many people were talking about it. That scene I thought was excellent. It was so great. I mean, it's just that French, and they, there was a language barrier too. They couldn't speak the same language, you know. And he, he's in there, and she's like, I don't know. It added such a nice human element to that film that you know. Not I'm not saying it didn't have it, but that, you know. Here he is in the middle of this war torn. I think he was in Khan at the time. Was he in Khan? Was that the city he was in? I have no idea. I think he was in Khan, um, which was just completely obliterated by the war. And uh, um, it, you know, he, he drops into this little building, and there's this woman with a baby. And the baby's in. I think the baby was sleeping in a dresser, right? I believe so. Yeah. Like I know, I, as far as I know, it wasn't her baby. 
I didn't know that. I didn't. I didn't pick up on that detail. It was just a random baby. I, th- I think that was. I think that was the case, but I can't remember. God, that was. And she wanted him to stay. Like she wanted him to stay. Like stay. Yeah. Don't leave. You know, it's one of those things that, like, I don't know. There was so much emotion and like human, human, like just raw human emotion in that scene that I just found incredible. That movie was. Oh yeah. Was great. I need to watch it again. Need to buy it, watch it. Again. I think that movie is the definition of a cinematic experience. That movie, in in and of itself, should be the example of why people should go to movie theaters to watch. And, and that was one of those. I'm I'm very picky about the movies I go see. That was one of them. That was one of the ones I I picked and went and saw in IMAX. I saw it by myself in IMAX on like a Tuesday night, dude. I saw it in uh, Dolby, the Dolby theater that AMC has. Awesome, because. The sound was half of the movie. Yeah. You know, um, I I did the same thing. I guess I've only seen two movies in theaters in the last two years, three years. And it was 1917 and then I saw First Man, which was disappointing for IMAX, honestly. I thought First Man would be more visually and audibly stunning than it was. But have you seen First Man? No, it looked disappointing. It was. To me, so it I was. Could. It was disappointing. It was so disappointing. Like Gosling plays like Neil Armstrong. Yeah, I'm. Well, obviously, I was going more towards the point that like Gosling plays a typical Gosling character, like soft-spoken, you know, kind of like stoic. You know what I'm saying? I heard that he came off as sort of autistic. Yeah, he did. Kind of. <laughs> he kind of fucking did. Um, but yeah, no, I've I've actually seen a lot of movies in theaters in the last year or so because in order to keep myself from spending a shit ton of money out at bars and restaurants, I got the uh, the AMC A list thing, which may, let me go to three movies a week uh, for twenty bucks a month. That's pretty good. And yeah, including Dolby and IMAX. That's really good. Yeah. Shit. So I literally just have to go to one Dolby showing, and it and it pays for itself. I think yeah, my ticket for nineteen seventeen was like seventeen bucks, eighteen bucks. It was expensive. Worth it, hundred yep. percent worth it. Um, the thing about First Man that got me, like when I went to IMAX, was I wanted to see like a you know I'm in awe with the and this is the this is the engineering nerd coming out me. Have you been to Cape Canaveral? I have not, no. So Cape Canaveral has a Saturn V rocket sitting on its side, like right outside, you know, in one of their little museums on the on the island or on the on the like the Cape. Dude, I wish I could put into words how fucking enormous the Saturn V rocket is. It is huge. When you see it in person, you will look at it and say, How the fuck did we send this to the moon? <laughs> I mean, it's it's inc- it's it's honestly like awe-inspiring and you know it's one of those things I've seen two shuttle launches in my lifetime and they were incredible but a Saturn V is one that I would you know absolutely kill to see in person um obviously it'll never happen again but I I went to see First Man in person because I wanted to see that like IMAX cinematic like audible and like visual experience of a Saturn V rocket launch uh in that like experience and it just obviously like they didn't really do a great job of like highlighting those which i thought would be kind of the the point of the movie of uh you know the saturn five rocket and you know them getting to the moon but um it was more about how he was just kind of a weird father and 
the weird at home like interactions they had as astronauts in Houston um, before, leading up to um, the first moon mission. So the guys dying in the in the in the fire on top of the rocket. Space program is nuts. Yep. So anyway, ramble over. But anyway, going back going back to where this started, uh, the other place that the silent majority it was actually most popularized by Richard Nixon, but it was used in uh, in campaigns by Ronald Reagan. Interesting. Which goes back to the original discussion we were having, which is about people not being able to accept that there are bad choices that you have to make. Uh, and that goes leads into the discussion that I wanted to have about how the people seem to think that there's even a, a remote possibility of there not being a second wave. The only way that there is not a second wave is if a literal cure is created before we, re- we reopen the economy. That's the only way. And the minimum amount of time expected for an actual vaccine to be publicly available is January. Okay. There are already 36 million people out of work today after two months of lockdowns. And the people that believe that we can stay in until the second wave seems to think that we can do this for another six months. Ready for me to spin zone it for you? Sure. I don't think there'll be a second wave. I don't think it'll happen. So I think if we open up, if we open up right now, like we're doing um, for the majority of the country outside of the hard hit areas um, and democratic states, um, right, wrong, or indifferent, I think there will be enough herd immunity um, because of the contagiousness of the virus that I think we won't see a second spike. I think we'll see continuous and well, I think not continuous. I think we'll see a constant, um, constant's not the right word. I think we'll see a steady, a steady number of cases, maybe through the ne- through winter. But I don't think we're going to see a spike of overwhelmed hospitals and people unprepared for what's coming, like we saw when this thing originally happened. I I am taking the approach, and you know, you you can correct me if I'm wrong and, or, or, or disagree with me if you want. I think this is, a, is more contagious than people are suggesting it is. And it's already been suggested as being more contagious than almost any other disease we've ever seen in the world ever. Um, I think it's... Uh, that's, that's an exaggeration. The measles is, has an R0 of 12. This is estimated as having an R0 of 4. Okay, so fun fact. you know why the measles has an R0 of 12? Why? It will aerosol. You know what that That's means. A fair point. You know what that means, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, yes. it, it can hang in the air for like two hours, which is why it was so contagious. So sorry, I was wrong there. But um, point being, it, it's still incredibly contagious, and more contagious than the common cold, more contagious than the common flu, more contagious than than something that you could get, you know, going to your child's daycare and not washing your hands. Um, the reason I'm I am positive about maybe not having a second spike, and I'm gonna knock on wood because I could be fucking wrong. But um, if it's a, as contagious as they say it is, and a lot of people have had it and have been asymptomatic, 
that means you're going to have inherent herd immunity by September when it starts to cool down. So we come into these hot months and we open back up and people start going out and, and it starts to spread. But because because the weather is warm in the northern hemisphere anyway, um, because the weather is warm and people are kind of spreading it, but it's not nearly as, as, as spreadable as it would be in the wintertime, you're going to get more people that are asymptomatic than you normally would in the wintertime uh, and during a lockdown. And by fall, you will have this inherent herd immunity that will limit or completely stop a, a spike, quote-unquote, that you would see in the wintertime. That's kind of my thought process on it. It's probably dead fucking wrong. I am not an epidemiologist. I, I mean, I'm not going to ever say I will be or, or am or was, but that logic makes sense to me in my head. Um, point, point made. Okay, so the reason that you're wrong is because <laughs> is because you're not accounting. Okay, you're not well, accounting for the don't say mutation, you fucking asshole. No. Okay, the vastly diminished uh, traffic that public transportation is getting right now in places like DC, like uh, pretty much any big city, not New York City. Yeah. Uh, because everything's been just locked down, the number and with 36 million people not having a job and not needing to go to work, the amount of people actually using public transportation, which appears to be the most common uh, location for this to spread, besides nursing homes, that means that there's not as many people for it to spread to. Spin zone. Once we re once we reopen and the millions of people that have been working at home can go back and are in these public places, the amount of crowding goes up and then your proximity to other people increases and so it doesn't mean that things will be as bad as they were in New York uh when the spike came through. But there's also not really much of a sign that that's going to happen generally ever. Especially because where it's been the worst has been places where it really hits the elderly that have the pre-existing conditions. Like the places that required COVID patients to go back to nursing homes. Or in countries that have multi-generational households like Spain and Italy. So, uh... I wanted to spin on you here, and I, I lost my train of thought. God damn it. Fuck. Fuck. Spin zone, or tinfoil hat theory. Was this all just a big ploy to destroy the government, or de- not to destroy the economy, but actually to make people panicked about public safety in order to allow for everyone to be given an absentee ballot in the fall? So that it's easier to uh, rig the election against Donald Trump. Was it started for that? No. Um, was it taken advantage of for that? Yes. 100, 110%. Um, I don't think the Clintons are smart enough to create a national pandemic to get Donald Trump out of presidency. And I will say that if, if that's what it took to get Donald Trump not elected in 2020, he's the best president we've ever had in the entire like, history of presidents in the United States. Think about it. It is worth noting. Think about that. It is worth noting that the Clintons did bomb a pharmaceutical uh, factory in Africa, so to distract from the fact that Bill Clinton was being impeached for perjury. 
I'm not surprised. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. If if this is the case, like if this is how they're going to get Donald Trump out of off, uh, out of office, it took a national pandemic or a, a global pandemic to get Donald Trump um, out of office. He has been um, vindicated as one of the most liked and well like and, and and most feared presidents in the history of the United States. So I uh, I think you may be overstating that Andrew Jackson would beat his ass. True. Uh, true. Who's still on the twenty dollar bill? Harriet Tubman can suck a dick. Uh, <laughs> uh, Andrew Jackson being on the twenty dollar bill is my favorite piece of spite ever, considering he was the one that prevented the creation of a national bank back in the eighteen hundreds. He did. I remember learning about that. Uh, learning about that in U.S. history, that he created the, the he created the creation of the national bank, and then they put his face on a currency. And honestly, the 20 is probably the most common currency other outside the one, right? It's got to be. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do we want to get to questions? We're an hour and 20 minutes in. Yeah, let's go to questions. Okay. We've rambled on long enough. That's what happens when I drink. Um, all right. Let's pull these bad boys up. Mm-hmm. All right, here we go. Uh, first question. Um, will there be a second round? Of, this is from Quinn Hayes. Will there be a second round of shutdown in America slash and will it slash and will it be fat and old people only? Will there be a second round of what? Will there be a second round of shutdown in America, slash, and will it be fat and old people only? Uh, I don't think... uh, In America, no. In some states, possibly. Yeah. Uh, But I think that if they do that, then they'll be opening themselves up for age discrimination. Yep. If they they don't do that. I think so. Especially because those would be in the more... Democratically leaning areas. You can't legally. Which would then be. You can't legally enforce that, but I think it'll be suggested. Like if you are at health, if you're at health risk, like you should stay home. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, good question there. Um, T. Roy's asks running shoes question mark. Well, I don't know if she's really the best person. To put up as the vice president, but shoes. Uh, Tammy Shoes Duckworth from Illinois. I don't know uh, anything I, about her, so I'm sorry I didn't know where you're going with that. Um, yeah, no, Tammy Shoes Duckworth. It's a it's one of her lesser known lesser known nicknames. She uh, she's probably one of the better choices, honestly, but she hasn't been thrown around very much. She'd probably give a better insight into the the Rust Belt and really help to solidify it, while also giving uh, Joe Biden a a female as his running mate. Whereas I don't think that Stacey Abrams or Kamala Harris or Elizabeth Warren really in create any benefit to uh, Joe Biden. No, I think it's status because he quo. already has a he all he already has a firm stance. With uh, African Americans, yep. So there's, and I think he actually has a better stance with African Americans than Stacey Abrams and Kamala Harris do. 
and Elizabeth Warren, you would go for her in order to get a progressive vote, but the progressives all hate her now for basically costing Bernie Sanders the uh, nomination. Right, right. But yeah, so that's uh, uh, running shoes. Uh, yeah, Tammy Shoes Duckworth. Not sure if, not sure if she'll be picked, but she's probably one of the more dangerous choices. Nothing for you there. Uh, T-Roy's on my side. I, I'm just going to have to go with what Ian says. I don't know anything about Tammy's shoes. So, tough question. Very specific um, on that one. So, I, we appreciate it. Uh, he wasn't talking about, like, the footwear, was he? No way. No, no, no. I think he was talking about... He's definitely talking politics. He knows this is a, this is a current events podcast. So... Uh, McKenzie Music asked... That having, if, been, that having been said, though... If anyone has suggestions on where to buy running shoes, I need a new pair. Fleet feet. Because I've essentially worn them out. Fleet feet. My mother swears by fleet feet. I don't know why, but she she swears by it. So. Okay. Um, there you go. Uh, McKenzie Music asks, if West Virginia had a pro team, what sport, what city, and why to both? It's a great question. That's a great question. That's a really good question. Uh, they have a semi-pro team called the Wheeling Nailers who play hockey, but I would say it would have to be in the capital because uh, Morgantown and Huntington both have college teams that would take away, and there's not enough population to really support a major college team in any city yep. while also supporting a, uh, a professional team. Yep. Uh, I don't think that football would work because there's such love for the Pittsburgh. I think basketball, strangely enough, would be the best choice because there's such a love for Pittsburgh uh, throughout the throughout the state, and so hockey and football would be out. Baseball <coughs> could be a potential, but there's already a few minor league teams here that would make it a little more difficult. I think that you'd have to go for basketball. So I think I think your best chance at a professional, like we're talking top of the line, like NBA, MLB, NFL team, I think your best chance for a team is a NBA team in Morgantown. Um, because at that point you're going to draw people down from Pittsburgh and you're going to draw people uh, in from Morgantown, you're going to draw people in from Clarksburg and probably in from Wheeling as well. Um, so, you know, you're going to talk, I mean, the, the fucking, well, Wheeling's pretty close to Cleveland though. So they'd be competing with the Cavaliers. Uh, I think you'd want to be going for people from like, uh, Southern West Virginia. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Charleston only has like 60,000 people in it. Like Charleston's really small. I know it like, well, the entire state has fewer people than the, the metropolitan area of Columbus does. Columbus is huge. It's like the 10th most populous metropolitan region in the fucking country. It's an unfair comparison. That's bullshit. It's a fucking state That's compared bullshit. to a metropolitan area. That's bullshit. Um, I don't think Charleston, you know, I just, Charleston doesn't have enough of an, of like enough accessibility of other cities to draw a crowd where Pittsburgh, who doesn't have an NBA team, does. So I think I think Pittsburgh isn't an NBA city. It's an NHL city. I think I think Morgantown could pull an NBA team pretty pretty regularly, hundred percent, hundred percent, hundred percent. I think they'd have a hard time. Any town in West Virginia would, which is why they don't have a professional team. Um, Yeah. Well, I mean, Virginia doesn't even have a fucking professional team. DC, bro. 
Can we talk DC about? Be can, can, can we talk about how dumb it is that Raleigh has an NHL team and nothing else? Uh, it's incredibly stupid. Yeah, it's dumb as shit. It should be in Charlotte. It should be in Charlotte. Hundred and ten percent. It's such bullshit that they have the. Well, hurricanes. that's like that's like how it's the Nashville Predators and the Tennessee Titans are in Nashville, but it's the Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah, makes no sense. Makes no fucking sense. It's just fucking it's dumb. dumb as shit. Um, okay, um, so great question. That's dumber than hell. That's dumber than hell. That's gay as hell. Obama's gay as hell. <laughs> Such a great clip, too. South Park's great. Uh, next question. Okay, so last question. Um, this is a tough one. Um, I'm really not sure what he means by this. From This is JPE1323 uh, from Lucas. Suggestions for, a, for starter ARs. Which site? Starter ARs? Yeah, so accelerated reading was a thing we did in elementary school. Um, I think... I think we used like, I, what? Do you remember the website you had to go to to log your like reading minutes? Not in the slightest. I think it was one of those things where the, where the shortcut was uh, like on the desk. Yeah, it was. Right, it was, and you had to take the little fucking quiz. And remember, I remember like being so proud reading like um, Harry Potter, and you know it was like eight questions. If you got them right, you got like you got so many points. You got so many points towards your like Pizza Hut order. Um, so starting ARs, I'd suggest like long books that are like relatively easy reading level. Any Harry Potter will do. Um, as in terms of sites, like maybe Amazon Prime's great for books. Um, oh, it is. It's very good. For I books. think that's the way to go. I don't think there's another site to to really talk about that um, outside. Of as for me, uh, I'd say that the best starter AR is fifteen. <laughs> oh. Oh, we're talking weapons. Um, I am. I don't know. Well, I don't know in case he's in case he's talking weapons, um, the Pal- uh, Palmetto um, Palmetto State Armory makes a great uh, assembly. If you're building an AR, Lucas, I would build it by hand, and I'd build it to um, I'd build it to the spec you want to have it for. What school? What like what type of school are you trying to shoot up? I think that's the that's the important question here. Um, it's well the the real well you know all you need is a drill press which I think is like a thousand or two thousand not expensive yeah uh, and you can build it yourself uh, I mean you can build it you can build you just, it yourself for less than that just based on the kit <clears throat> you just well, have to, no, no I, I should I should explain you need you can build it yourself without there being any record of you having oh yes, yes 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 um in terms of uh for legal purposes do not do that and then shoot up a yeah screen. do not do that but if you're since you're asking i will i will tell you how to build a great ar but it's none of my legal responsibility of what you're going to do with it um <laughs> i assume that you're going to defend yourself as the uh as the founders intended I'd, I'd build it up, man. Like get your get yourself an, uh, a nice get yourself a nice red dot site. Um, I've heard some guys boring theirs out. If to you're 30... gonna spend a thousand dollars on a rifle, there's no reason to stick to iron sights. I'd bore it out, dude. I'd bore that bad bitch out to thirty out six. Just get a higher caliber, get a higher caliber in there because, I mean, the honest opinion is like, yeah, five five six is great and seven six two is great. Well, I think thirty out six and seven six two are very similar. I'm not a gun expert. Um, 
556 is good. It's fun to shoot. It's cheap. It's like 25 cents around. 30 out six is much more expensive, but 30 out six will pretty much do it. You know, one it's like a one shot, one kill kind of thing. So, um, since you're probably building this if gun, they're an intruder. since you're building this gun to to hunt deer or like large game, I think you should bore it out to 30 out six. Put yourself a nice scope on it. Maybe some thermal sensors. Um, let's cheat. Let's get it, like put a silencer on it. Um, maybe a bipod in the front, and uh, let's do. Let's... Well, I mean, you want the silencer because you don't want to damage your hearing. Right, right. And then, and then you want to do the old. Uh, you want to have a, a light pull trigger, so you don't have to. You, your aim isn't fucked up when you pull the trigger. You know, you want something really light, and then a thumb safety just in case. So. That's how I do it. Um, I'm by no means a gun expert, um, but that's that's my recommendation. So uh, that concludes our questions. I hope I hope that answers your question, both on uh, accelerated reading and an AR-15. <laughs> so, uh, does that does that say a lot more about us than it should? Uh, I think that I AR, think I you think, think of. You think of elementary level reading, I, and I think of guns. I think that sums up. I think that sums up the podcast fairly well. Um, do you have a diatribe you can go on? Because I have to pee. Uh, sure, I can go on a quick diatribe. Yeah. I was. I'm going. I had a an honorable mention for dumpster fire of the week that I will then lead into my actual dumpster fire of the week. So my honorable mention for dumpster fire of the week is the fact that uh, Gavin Newsom has actually decided that if they can't uh, if they go bankrupt because they have mishandled their money so poorly Gavin Newsom uh, governor of California then and they are not bailed out by the federal government then the first ones that will be laid off will not be the useless bureaucrats in the state department and the state's different departments it's going to be the emergency services workers basically playing chicken with the federal government kind of ignoring the fact that if he does that then he will t- he will turn redder that he will turn redder than a steak served the proper way in Texas <coughs> so so rather than get rid of the bullshit and the government he wants to get rid of the people that are actually taking care of the problems in his state no, he wants to do none of that. He wants to get bailed out, and he thinks that this is the best negotiating tactic, oh. which is basically to hold a gun to the state's head and say, "I'll fucking do it." Ba- basically saying, like, I-, I imagine, I imagine the scene from uh, Blazing Saddles, where the new black sheriff uh, has all these guns pointed at him because of the racist town folk. And so he pulls out his pistol and puts it as, uh, holds himself at gunpoint. He says, do it, or the Negro gets it. It's like, do what he says, do what he says. (laughs) (laughs) Underrated movie, by the way. I don't think it's underrated. I think it's considered, widely considered one of the top comedies of all time. Oh, man. Where are all the white women at? That's just (laughs) so great. These are common folk, yeah. people of the land, you know, morons. <laughs> Just an all-time great. Um, so excellent. So was that your dumpster fire of the week? No, that was my uh, that was my honorable mention because that was all I had to say about it. 
my actual dumpster fire of the week is that the FBI, uh, it was discovered this week that the FBI lost the transcript of the original <laughs> interview that it had with Michael Flynn. This person that they've been trying to jail for lying to them during said interview, they no longer have a copy of the transcript in order to provide it to Michael Flynn in order to examine for uh, purposes of exculpatory evidence. And in response to that, the judge on the case said, essentially, I mean, that happens. People lose documents. Yeah. It happens. Uh, what, did, what was the quote I read below it that it's like, it's happened maybe once in like 15,000 cases? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and strangely enough, it just so happens to be the case that uh, everyone points to to basically say, well, I mean, it can't be a witch hunt if they're finding witches, can it? <laughs> it's, it was basically, it was the, this is the most annoying thing about this case is that this is the case along with Paul Manafort. That everyone points to to prove that Donald Trump did something wrong in the Russia investigation. Meanwhile, Paul Manafort was arrested for shit he did back in like 2005, before Donald Trump even considered running for president. Right. Uh, and then Michael Flynn gets so Michael Flynn is essentially the one person that is going to is going to go to jail for something associated with this uh, Mueller probe. And the kind of shit that they pulled to get him thrown in jail is the exact reason why I hate the government. They lied to him about the purpose of it. He knew that they had the transcript, so there is literally no motive for him to lie. The agents themselves said they didn't believe that he was lying on purpose. James Comey, the director of the FBI, said... That he did not believe that it was there was clear evidence that he had been lying. They lost the transcript of the original interview that they were using to prove that he had lied. And yet, they blackmailed him by saying they would arrest his, uh, his son for being an unregistered foreign agent. <laughs> which is something that uh, happens all the time, I guess. <laughs> and uh, and then they also had this court case go on for years, drying up any investments and savings that he may have. So now not only was he put in jail wrongly, when he gets uh, exonerated and released from jail, he now no longer has any money because he had to pay for his defensive, his legal defense. That seems uh, criminal on the other side a little bit, but... Who am I to say? Don't don't worry though. I'm sure that it was just the rank and file doing their job. Absolutely, they were just following orders, Ryan. Absolutely, just following orders. It wasn't politicized by any means. No way, never. Uh, Ryan, do you know what the phrase "just following orders" is commonly referred to as? Uh, no. That is called the Nuremberg defense. Oh. <laughs> Boy, um, I'm no history buff, but I believe that was the uh, SS guards um, just defending themselves for killing six million Jews, which isn't funny. I mean, I individually, it was only a couple hundred or a couple thousand individually okay. that was saying. But yes, that was the situation okay. in which it was very publicly determined that the statement, I was just following orders, is a morally inexcusable defense. But they let them all go. 
The uh, the SS no. They let a lot of them go. The FBI the FBI are going to be fine. They <laughs> exist to be politicized. Okay. Like I said earlier, Woodrow Wilson created them to fight to shut down his political opponents. Fair enough. Yeah. We've established that I think like two or three times on this podcast now. Oh, a ton. Yeah. It's one. It's because it's one of my big hobby horses against conservatives that they seem to think that Barack Obama's Justice Department is when it became uh, politicized. No, <laughs> no. I mean, you're close. You're only off by almost a hundred years. But you're only off by fifty percent of the age of the country. But continue. <laughs> I'm sure it's fine. It's fine. You're close enough. You're on the right half of history here. <laughs> Okay. Um, all right. Um, well, I guess it's my turn to share my dumpster fire of the week. And my dumpster fire of the week is uh, – oh, man, I want to make it. so. There's so many things I can make it. Um, I told – I said I was going to go on a mental health diatribe, so I'll do it here. Uh, is mental health. So it's basically the country's mental health. I think mine's included. Um, this uh, – this – quarantine has been um i guess to get a little more serious we've been joking all all night uh this quarantine has been uh taking a toll on a lot of people and um i i know i've seen it with um friends of ours uh ian and uh i'm seeing it myself I, i'm finding myself uh kind of getting down in a rut and i think i think people get down in a rut more often than they like to admit and i i texted you today about this and told you i'd go on a little rant about it but uh I think it's uh, it's important now more than ever to recognize when you're in a bad spot and to talk about it. Um, I found in my life, uh, I found in my life more often than not, um, I try to internalize a lot of things <clears throat> that get me down. I think um, the biggest thing that I, I don't normally open up about this, and I'm sure we're like we only have like one listener right now, but I think it's better than than not telling anybody um i think we get to points in our lives where uh where things get uh tough and we just internalize them and we don't try to talk to them we especially as men um i think women are better at expressing their feelings and you can call that sexist if you want but i I don't think that's untrue um i think men are kind of uh uh, told to internalize things and internalize personal and and emotional problems because you have to be stoic and tough um so i've made it kind of a pact through quarantine that i'm going to be a little more vocal about my personal uh mental health issues and and you know how you can get through them and I like to draw comparisons to golf. I guess a little backstory. Um, I have not. I you know full disclosure. I'm not uh, the best with dealing with rejection, and I I tend to find myself dealing with rejection more often than not. Um, I think a lot of times in rejection, generally it's it's around jobs or uh, personal relationships. I think you made the. Ian, you made the comparison. Getting broken up with is the worst thing that can happen because it's literally someone that you're best friends with telling you that they don't want to be friends with you anymore. How'd you phrase that? Uh, the phrasing, and I actually got this from one of the uh, from one of the barstool people. It's it's the meanest thing you can do to somebody that isn't like an actual form of violence because you are literally telling someone that has gotten to know you and has basically the closest person you are the closest person in their life at that time uh with maybe one or two exceptions 
and you get to know them better than just about anybody else does, and you see them for who they are, and you tell them, I'd prefer not to see you. Yeah. I do not want you to be a part of my life. Yes. So, so that, um, I've been through that a handful of times and it's, it's never been easy. And I, 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 I'm not going to say I'm going through it right now, but I'm going through something similar. And it's, it's been, I, I found it profoundly more impactful during quarantine, um, more so than maybe in the past. And, you know, I, I feel for people that have gone through or are going through something that's even worse than what I'm going through right now. But uh, it's tough, man. And and um, I, I think it's important to our listeners or our listener, you know, we joke about who listens. I think uh, the, the, the statistics show we have 20 people that listen. And I don't know who the fuck you are. And I appreciate you guys, honestly. I don't know who it is. We have like four or five people that submit questions. I feel like there are about 15 other people out there that listen and just don't tell me they listen. Um, but uh, it's important that you uh, you know take take what's going on in your life right now with a grain of salt. Number one, and you know I'm by no means a a a, a psychologist or a therapist, so obviously uh, this is just me trying to be a good friend, but. Um, which is rare, so 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 eat it up, soak it in, baby. soak it in. This doesn't happen often, you motherfuckers. Um, but uh, it's tough, man, and dealing with rejection at a time where you really don't have a way of expressing or, or, dealing with rejection right now in a way where you don't have a an, an outlet for anger or disappointment. You know, my outlet's always been going to the gym. Um, really for the past three years since I went through a, a, my first really bad breakup was, you know, I, I went to the gym every day because I had, I had negative energy and I was tired of looking in, in the mirror at myself and hating myself for who I was. So you go to the gym and you, you know, you have to improve yourself. You have to find little things every day that say, I'm going to get a little bit better every day because eventually those, those little bits add up to something that's, that's uh, a, a tangible whole. Um, so that's my first piece, first piece of advice is, is try to fake, try to make yourself better every day. And quarantine has made that incredibly difficult. And I think that's like what I'm going through right now has been tough is I, I can't go to the gym. So I have all this negative pent up energy and it's just got nowhere to go. Um, the second thing, and I think this is the most important, um, and I've, I've been appreciative of you, Ian, and I've been appreciative of, of Marone and Tim and, and Jake is if somebody calls you and I, this is the this is the rant I kind of alluded that I was going to go on um when I texted you this morning um if somebody calls you pick up the fucking phone uh and if you don't pick up the phone at least send them a text and say hey what's up I missed your call how are you doing can I call you later uh people people don't call because they have uh, nothing better to do and they're just wanting to um, annoy you and bother you. People call you when they want to talk and they want to ask how you're doing and, and, and they're genuinely, genuinely uh, you know, curious about what's going on in your life and they want to have a conversation. Um, I, I think the rudest thing in the world you can do to somebody is to ignore a phone call and then not follow up with a, uh, with a text or uh, an answer at least a few hours later and say, hey, sorry, I was busy, I was sleeping, I was with my family. I get people are busy and they can't answer the phone all the time, but answer the goddamn phone. And, and um, 
not to be hypocritical, I, maybe I've been bad about that, but call me out on it. I mean, I want any of my any of the followers of the podcast to call me out on me not answering the phone when you call me, um, because I think answering the phone is maybe the most important thing you can do um, socially for your fellow friends and and uh, associates. Isn't the right word? Acquaintances um, when they call you, because more often than not. They're not calling you to bother you. They're calling you to see how you're doing. And if they're calling you to bother you, you know, that that's just a bad person. But at the end of the day, people are calling you to just talk and see how you're doing. And, and, and I think I think it's it's kind of shitty if you don't uh, if you don't answer the phone. Um, so uh, that's my diatribe. Quarantine's almost over. We're going to make it through it. Don't be afraid to call me. If you need somebody to fucking talk to, call me. Um, I'll pick up the phone, whether it's at 4 a.m. or 2 in the afternoon. And if I don't pick up the phone, I'll send you a text and and tell you I'll call you later. Um, That's my mental health diatribe slash dumpster fire of the week. Um, A little showing a little weakness here. I'm not doing great, but we're going to make it through it. Um, But uh, anyway, if if I may, uh, because we're already going two hours. Yeah, that's fine. It's not really. Oh, wow. uh, We we are going to go two hours. All right. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so if if I may uh, build on that, so yes, it's uh, it that's something that's re- well. One, you're you're probably right about the not answering the phone and not responding. That's just rude. But going more onto the main purpose, uh, I too am Irish, and so I also internalize most of my feelings uh, and just shove it down deep and uh, until I explode with an emotional breakdown yeah. every so often. Yeah. Because that's apparently just how I deal with things. But it's the reason I think that what you said is, is so valuable is because it's, it is amazing how if you hold on to something that you just don't feel comfortable talking about for so long, it just starts building and building. It just really feels like a giant weight. And it's, it's super cliche to say, but just being willing to have that discussion even once with somebody who actually cares can make a world of difference in alleviating the stress and anxiety it puts on you. And I think that what you're saying about the the rejection being such a problem right now is because it sort of is accentuated by the loneliness that comes in from being in quarantine because when there is that rejection you don't have the option to go out to the bar and meet some of your friends. You don't have the option to go out golfing. Uh, well, I mean, you do now, you son of a bitch. But, but the... Uh, I, will, I, will, but, I, will, I, will, I will juxtapose that and say that, you know, golfing is an escape, but a lot of the times golfing is by yourself. So you, you're still with your feelings and you're doing something that's kind of burning off some energy. But it's the same idea. You know, I can't... I can't, you know, like you said, you can't go to the bar. There's, there's, everyone has their local bar. And I've always found relief in when I'm frustrated, I'll go down to the bar, my local bar, and have a drink and talk to the bartender. Because that's a person to talk to, right? And, you know, someone that really doesn't know you. And eventually, you, you meet people down there, and I'm sure you've done the same thing. You've met people at your local bar that you just, you've never met before. Um, and you can't do that right now. You can't, you know, I can't say, man, this sucks. I'm tired of being inside. I'm going to go have a beer at the bar. And, and even if you sit there and don't say a word to people, you can listen to the conversation and be in public and have some feeling of inclusiveness. So anyway, continue. Yeah, and that's, 
And that's sort of the thing is that there is uh, there is this feeling of loneliness or isolation that can come in. And you said that you've been you you're getting into a rut more recently, whereas my rut came more like uh, a month ago, and I actually got out of it just a couple of weeks ago. I think it was when I shaved my beard and then realized that I was getting fat again <laughs> that I that I was like I need to I need to do better. It was just finding that motivation yeah. to kind of get off my ass. But it's it's invaluable to really be willing to discuss what you're dealing with and what you're ta- what uh what you are experiencing because if you don't tell anybody then there's no reason why they would know. And, and nobody and like it's it's uh it's detrimental and i agree with i'm going to build upon that because like i i think it's detrimental to expect it's it's wrong and and i think um unfair to expect your friends or acquaintances to realize something's wrong in your life if you don't tell them um and that's like been the hardest thing for me is i I mean you know i'm scottish you're irish i'm scottish it's almost the same fucking country um (laughs) Uh, different different hair color, but the same stupidity across both borders. Um, but uh, you know, um, it's it's important that you share how you're feeling with people because if if you don't, they're not going to know what's going on in your in their life. And the, my you know, the hardest thing I've experienced is is you know admitting weakness. No one wants to admit they're weak or they're struggling because it's especially men, it's ingrained in your it's it's been ingrained in you since we're, you were 5 that you know when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Well, sometimes you know it's okay to share that things are tough with other people because maybe they can provide you some insight or some knowledge or some support that you need to get through that tough time. Um so if you feel you know and the reason I started this diatribe is is that I've part of the reason I'm somewhat I'm not going to use the word depressed, but the the reason I've I'm in a rut is that I feel like I've been ignored by a lot of people that I thought cared about me and I cared about, um, and I you know that's that goes back to that whole rejection theme. So if you are struggling, and I send this out to the five listeners we have, and you know I think we have 15 more that I don't know about. If you're struggling or you need someone to talk to, I don't care if it's four o'clock in the morning or three in the afternoon, call me. I will answer the phone. And if I don't answer the phone, I will send you a text and set up a time to answer the phone and talk to you. Um, that's my promise to you. And I, I think I'd do that for, I do that for just about anybody. Um, kind of reiterating what I said earlier. Um, talking to people is the best way to get things out and to express what's going on in your life. And uh, I, I don't think enough people in today's age um, know how to talk on the phone and, exp- and, and have a conversation. So um, anyway, not to get too... If it makes you feel better, Ryan. I, I don't know how to do that in person either. Yeah, well... <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, <clears throat> pick up the goddamn phone. And if someone calls you, pick up the fucking phone. I don't care. I don't care what time it is or when it is. And if, like I said, if you don't pick up the phone, send a text and at least acknowledge that you, you saw their call and you, you're you can you know hey can i call you back can we text what's up um it's important man i think uh i think we need to be a little bit i think we all need to be better humans right now and uh this is a great time to try to focus on that so um that's my dumpster fire of the week um i don't think dumpster fire is a great description for it but i I think that that that's how it best fit into the podcast we are pushing two hours so
<laughs> Let's rush through yeah. these uh, boomer. Yeah, let's get a boomer of the week. Uh, so uh, Ronnie. Uh, basically decided to announce to everybody that he's taking drugs. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> he claims they were prescribed by his, by a doctor and, uh, given to him by a, a legally authorized pharmacist. But we've seen what happens with the opioid epidemic. We can't tell. We don't know. He could be putting himself in danger. And honestly, it's a concern. It's selfish. It's self-centered, and it's just so boomer. So I know, to, I know, to Ronnie this. had talked about this earlier a couple of months ago, saying it was safe. So I feel like this is just kind of like a Ronnie being like, "Look, fuck you guys. It's perfectly safe," and he's just taking it. You know what I'm saying? I I think that that's a reasonable uh, that's a reasonable position to take. Um, I'm proud. Honestly, I'm proud of Ronnie for doing this. This is good. Taking a stand. Yeah, yeah, standing up for what he believes in. You know, it, it's it's time that our business leaders, our local small business leaders, stand up for what they believe in, and I think that's what Ronnie's doing right now. I can tell you with complete certainty, there is nothing that Ronnie stands for more than what his what he believes in. That's. Uh, I you know I I think Ronnie should run for president one day, but. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if he, I don't know if he'd feel comfortable trying to follow up with the follow up the Emperor God King Trump. I I feel like they're two peas in a pod, but I don't know. I don't know enough about it. <laughs> so, um, I guess my uh, to, to is that all you have on Ronnie? Yeah, that was it. okay. Um, well, my boomer of the week is uh, is my friend who uh, doesn't listen to the podcast. Um, but the reason she's the boomer of the week is that when I suggested that uh, Vox news source, Vox, not Fox, Vo- well, Fox would be just as bad, but Vox, V-O-X, has a, an agenda um, when I was trying to find an article that stated that the United States has a severe COVID-19 testing shortage and couldn't find one, uh, and then suggested that maybe the Vox article had some kind of agenda, she hung up the phone. So uh, she is my boomer of the week simply because she's taking the Facebook uh, earplugs approach to politics and saying that there's no way the news companies ever have an agenda. MSNBC is right and CNN is right and everything else is wrong and uh, liberal or uh, conservative um, propaganda. So... Yeah, uh, so in case you're wondering, Ezra Klein is the one who founded uh, Vox, or is the current head of Vox, and he just wrote a book about basically being a progressive. Uh, Rachel Maddow, one of, I think, the most watched person on MSNBC, yep. uh, the night that Donald Trump was elected, said, no, you're not in hell, you didn't die and go to hell, this is our lives now, this is happening. Uh, CNN regularly runs uh, headlines on the Chiron that state that Donald Trump is actively lying uh, and is trying to purvey falsehoods while distracting from whatever ongoing scandal there is. Uh, and yet these places are do not have a an agenda. And yet, if you were to ask her if places like Fox News had an agenda, I'm sure certain that she would clearly state that yes, of course they have an agenda. 110%. And that's what I, I tried to tell her. I was like, I can't find an article because 
Fox News is saying there's no shortage, and Vox and uh, MSNBC are saying there is a, a testing shortage. So I really can't find a reputable article that doesn't have an agenda, and that's when she hung up the phone. So, uh, And just for the record, there is not a testing shortage nationwide. There is a localized testing shortage in some areas because all the testing capacity is being put into places like California and New York who were begging and demanding all this testing and now are only using about a third of the capacity that they were demanding. Right. Right. So, um, that doesn't seem problematic at all, though. Nope, not at all. Not at all. Uh, so, uh, just, uh... We just, we just passed, keep... we just passed two hours, so we should celebrate. Um, have you finished your whiskey? Yes, I actually just finished. You should pour another finger and drink it here for the next, uh, I'll drink, I have one more finger left in mine. Um, and let's, let's celebrate our first two-hour episode. Uh, okay. I will wait for you. This is good. This is good. No one made it this far, so it's, it's just, <laughs> it's just you and me at this point. But, uh, um... It's been uh, it's it's been uh, a, a great two hours, and I think this is probably. What are we gonna? I, I should ask you. When should we start our uh, next season? Because I continue to make these season one. Uh, I think college football once season. We've reached the year. Yeah, I, yeah. I should say college football season should should be the the pinnacle for season two. While we're waiting on this, uh, go listen to my other podcast that can be viewed at least on Spotify, uh, which are called Stereotopical, where there's a hyphen between stereo and topical, where I have conversations with my friend Drew about different topics, uh, including coronavirus Is it, and healthcare. I feel like that's a ripoff of, uh, of our podcast. Uh, no, we actually started. We started this while we were still a sports betting podcast. Ah, okay. So, so we're a rip off of that podcast. Uh, kind of. And then I also have a uh, a movie reviewing podcast called Red Carpets to Trailer Trash. You know what we should have called this podcast? What pissing in the wind. I, I thought of that the well, other day. Well, that would make more I sense feel, as the uh, as the current events version I, I, than it does than it does as a uh, gamble. Well, maybe maybe uh, maybe come fall we we start a spinoff called Pissing in the Wind. Um, that is just the current events version of this podcast. Because when it comes to the fall, like we're not we're not going to be able to squeeze in current events and uh, in sports. It's going to be we're going to be back on sports, which is good. I think our listener wants to hear that. But, uh, oh, yeah. By the way, I'm not sure if we mentioned uh, Texas, California, New York all said that they'll be opening up for sports uh, in June. And uh, professional sports. Um, Neil Brown and uh, Gordon Gee believe that we will be playing our first game in Atlanta uh, against Florida State. So I think we're going to have it. I think we're going to get to the point in the, in the fall where everyone's just like, fuck this. We're, we're going, <laughs> you know? So. Um, I keep saying there's no way that SEC football fans are going to accept that we're not going to, and uh, no, and we're not going to the, to the what, what's the Ole Miss tailgating called? Oh, uh, the Grove. The Grove. We're not going to the Grove because we might catch COVID. And I don't think we're. Gonna- they're they're basically said there. There's a story about how an Alabama fan 
left the hospital for a heart transplant that he was waiting for so that he could go to, a Tusc- to Tuscaloosa for a football game. Right. We're not giving up football. And I think, I think there won't be any social distancing in the games either. I think everyone's going to say, fuck this, we're going in the stands. And, and we'll take the risk. And that's just the way it's going to be, which is great. I think it's great. So, um, all right, uh, you got that whiskey. I'm drinking mine. Um, it's, been, uh, it's been a pleasure. We made it two hours for the first time ever, folks. Sorry for wasting your time. I hope you take that mental health aspect to heart. I will mention it uh, profusely in our programming preview. Um, so I hope you, you read that. I hope that. you take nothing else to heart. Literally nothing else except the, the mental health thing, because that's about the only serious thing we've said in 30 episodes. So uh, in that case, um, don't forget to fade the public, except for the mental health thing. Um, that's it. That's all I got. Fade the public.